Have you ever, as parents, had that terrifying moment when you realized you did not have all of your children about you? One was missing. I remember one time in particular with our youngest. Daniel is his name. And there was a time in the, in, in the department stores where they would have these round circular clothes racks. Remember those? I don't see them as much anymore. I'm not sure why. Maybe I just stay away from the mall these days. But, but there were these round racks, and so all the clothes are all the way around, and there's this empty space in the middle. And it's a great place for a six-year-old, right? They just fit right in there. And parents knowing this by experience, can in panic be looking wildly all over for the little rascal that is tucked away neatly inside that round clothing rack. It's a terrifying thing, especially in this day when all the things you hear about, all the terrible things that can happen, it's a terrifying thing to lose a child. Kids, do not try this at the mall, please. I beg you. And yet you could say, but Jesus did something like that. Can you imagine Mary and Joseph heading from Jerusalem back to Nazareth? And at one point they look in the, in the mirror in the minivan. You know that little mirror you have you can fold down? You can watch the kids in the back. It's not the rear view mirror. It's the kid view mirror. You got one of those and you can watch the kids and all of a sudden they're noticing, wait a minute, where's Jesus? He's not, he's not with the rest of the family. They forgot their kid in Jerusalem. How could you do that? This is a, a particular story that is, that is contained only in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be continuing our study in the Gospel of Luke uh, in the next several months, uh, knowing Jesus, following Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And there are episodes, there are parts of Jesus' ministry that are included only in Luke and not in any of the other Gospels. Luke has a particular emphasis. So we'll continue that journey that we started in the Advent Christmas season. And this episode in particular is the only glimpse we get into the childhood. And it's only in the Gospel of Luke. So I invite you to turn to your Bibles to Luke chapter 2 and verse 40. And we'll read from verse 40 to 52. Verse 40 actually picks up the end of the last episode, but it's helpful to us, so we'll include that as we read. Luke chapter 2, in verse 40. And the child Jesus grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year on the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, or when the days were complete, not only for Passover, but for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, and then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And, all, and, and, and when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I 
have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house or in the midst of the things of my father? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all of these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature, in favor with God and with men. This little story is a great story to also talk about how do you read a story. What should we be looking for? What should we try to notice? What should, instead of just reading over like we do, we're getting through our Bible reading for the year, what should we see here or try to anticipate? A story has certain elements of context and background. A story has a particular purpose or point it's seeking to make. A story is going to have some tension, and this one does, and it has some resolution of that tension. In the story, first of all, we have a context. We will have a center point of the story. We will have a climactic statement, what we're supposed to for sure take away from this. And there will be some then conclusions that we can draw out of that. But first of all, the context. You may have noticed verse 40 and then again verse 52. And Jesus increased or grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. If Jesus could grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man, what does that suggest about our own intentional growth? That we also should grow. If Jesus needed to grow, and you think, well, okay, he's 12, but he's the son of God. I mean, he's different than any other child that had ever lived before. How do you parent the son of God? What a, what a, what a difficulty that must have been for, for Joseph, for Mary. I'm not sure. They're, they're, they're trying to feel their way through this, you can tell. But the little glimpse that we get, we are told that the child grew. We're told at the beginning of the story, we're told at the end of the story. I think, first of all, there's something that we can take away, that this is a story about growing. This is a story about growth and development. There is normal human development. There is spiritual growth and development. And Jesus is growing in both of those dimensions. He's growing in his understanding. He's growing in wisdom. He's growing in stature, even physically. He is growing in favor, in relationship. What does this mean? Well, increasing, first of all, growth, increasing, he's making further progress. That's what the word means. It's, it's, it's a pretty basic word. It means to be continue to moving on in the same direction. It can be used of, of positive increasing, or it can, it can be used of continuing in a bad direction, things going from bad to worse. In this case, it's growing further in a positive direction. It begs the question, are you making progress? Or are you marking time? I remember hearing years ago, and, and, and at a time when things had changed in the Air Force, there were some budget cuts, and they used to intentionally move people around in the military to keep stretching them, to give them new challenges and new opportunities, thus for growth and development. But with budget cuts, they stopped moving people nearly as often, but the encouragement was still, find new ways to stretch, find new challenges without physically moving from one location to another. 
The commander put it this way. He said, you may say you have eight years of experience. You're really good at this job. You've got eight years of experience in that job. And his reply was, do you have eight years of experience or do you have two years of experience four times? You see, whether in a vocation, a particular skill, or in the Christian life, we can make a little progress and then we can just be resting in that progress, or we think we are. We're marking time. But in the midst of the currents that we're in, I would suggest that if we are merely marking time, we're probably being carried by that current opposite in the direction that we want to be going closer in knowing and following our God and Savior. So there's an increase, there's a continuing, that Jesus is increasing in wisdom. Wisdom is the skillful application of truth in living. It's truth applied to life. It's not only knowing, but stepping into and rightly applying God's truth into the midst of living. Living in relationship with others, making good choices, choices not des- that don't necessarily pay well in the current context, but are the right thing to do, the right way to live that shows something of the, the image of God in life. He's growing in stature, and that certainly relates to spiritual growth, or rather, rather physical growth. Jesus is getting taller. Okay, whatever his height was in his adult ministry, he wasn't born that way, we can be quite sure. Jesus grew physically just as any other child grows. But there's something about that stature that reminded me of Ephesians 4.13, where we're to grow unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That stature of Christ is a... Is a, is a, a um, a target for us to be growing toward, more and more like him, increasing in Christ-likeness. Jesus grew in favor with God and with men. Now that's an interesting quote because it's, or it's an interesting phrase because it's quoted almost directly out of 1 Samuel and chapter 2, verse 26. It's a, it's a statement that's used to describe young Samuel. And Samuel was a bit of a miraculous birth. God is involved in the birth of Samuel. So Mary is something like a new Hannah. And, and Jesus is certainly a better than Samuel is now here. But he grows in favor. Samuel was said, the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. And this is in contrast to Eli's evil sons. In that context, Samuel is specifically contrasted to the evil sons of Eli who are functioning as priests, but they're evil towards people and they're, and they're wicked and disrespectful and dishonoring to God. And Samuel is the opposite of that, both with God and also with men. This favor with God in men, there's a graciousness and goodwill that's described. It's a going beyond what is required for and toward others. It's going beyond what is required. What am I supposed to do? What does God require of me as compared to what is it to walk with and live and know and enjoy God? What do I owe other people Versus what does it take to be in life with them and for them, strengthening them and helping them, and God using me as a gracious encouragement toward them for their benefit rather than for what I get out of it? That's what it is to grow in favor 
It's a graciousness and goodwill. It is a, it is a relational kindness and other-centeredness that is just likable. Yeah, I remember when I was in high school. It was a long time ago. I remember something of it. One of the things I remember of it is there were two kinds of popular kids. There were the popular kids that everybody wanted to look like and dress like. But then there were the popular kids that other kids weren't necessarily trying to be like, but they liked them and were so glad that and they didn't necessarily dress in in the latest whatever. They didn't necessarily look as pretty or strong and handsome as some of the others. But there was a likableness about them because of their interest and kindness and care for others. And that ought to be a characteristic of followers of Jesus. We might not be much to look at. We ought to be ones that people see something of the gracious kindness, the care of others in our own lives. Jesus grows in favor with God and with men, contrary to the wickedness around him. Now, as Jesus is growing, it shows something of this tension of parenting. Parenting, whether of Jesus or sinful kids, and there's a bit of a difference there, is it always going to involve, parenting is going to involve being stretched in serving and caring. Parenting, first of all, and I want to talk some about parenting. I want to, I want to talk some about being parented also. But I want to talk about parenting. And parenting is a great place to grow. This is where you will be stretched. This is where you will have to sacrifice. And whether you are parenting young ones at home, whether you're parenting old ones who are on their own, still you're going to be stretched. You're going to be giving of yourself for the sake and the benefit of others. And that's where the Lord stretches us and grows us in his own likeness. Now, in the midst of all that, especially when you're figuring... I find with each new life stage, again, parents having a clue what they're doing. You feel that way? If you have a handful of kids, well, time you get to the end of the line, okay, you're kind of figuring that, that stage out. But by then, the others are in a new stage, and you're starting all over again. And whether that's babies to toddlers to, to, to young kids to middle school. Oh, you thought the twos were bad. There's middle school and then there's high school. And, and then they leave home and you thought you're done. <laughs> you're not done. You're never done. There's still something to give. And in the midst of that, you don't know what you're doing. Relax. You don't know what you're doing. That's okay. We can know something about what we're doing, though. God will lead us. God will guide us. He guides us out of his word. We don't have to have it all figured out. We don't know everything. But are you willing to be aware of the gap? I don't know what to do here. And are you willing, as God gives you wisdom, to take the next right step? I may have blown that, but what do I do now? What do we do here? And then we take another step forward again. There's a key, a key that we see here in how Mary and Joseph apparently parented. And again, we're not told a lot, but I'm not going to make up what we're not told. One of the things I do see in the passage, however, is they, every year it was their practice to go up to Jerusalem for Passover. 
and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, that was something that the law called all Israelite men to do. That was one of the feasts that they were supposed to gather, in, in, gather before the Lord in Jerusalem. But in the first century, all men in Israel did not gather, did not go up. Some did, many didn't. But this family did, and it wasn't just Joseph. They went. And when Jesus was 12, we don't know about when he was 11 or 10, but when he was 12, they took him with them. He was not yet required to go until he was 13, and yet they brought him with them. They were sincere in their patterns of following the Lord and walking in his ways, and they brought their children with them in their patterns of faithfully following the ways of the Lord. Their own faith and worship, the practice of it was sincere, and they brought their their family along in that. That's one of the things we see here. That's a great starting point. At the same time, we, we, we also see something of a free-range parenting here. Now, what do I mean by free-range parenting? You know, you know free-range chickens are better, right, than those cage-raised ones? Somehow free-range eggs are supposed to be better, too, although it must be a nuisance going all around the field and picking them up. But I digress. Free-range children, what do I mean by that? Well, I was asked earlier this week, I, was, I heard the question, what... Did you really think back to your childhood, your growing up time? What did you most enjoy? What were your favorite memories? And for me, it was that going out in the woods, building forts, climbing trees, doing some things out there that probably would have given my mother a lot of anxiety if she had been watching me the whole time. But she wasn't watching me the whole time. She gave me the room to go and to do. And, and to, to get on my bike and to head down the road miles to a friend's, friend's house. And along the way, do some stupid things. Get hit by a car. Go, fall over because my, my friend is riding on the back of the car and he thinks it's funny to, or on the, on the, on the, on the back of the um, bike. We did things with cars later that I won't get into. He thinks it's funny to go back and forth and make it harder for me while we're going downhill. And it was harder for me because I, land, I ended up sliding down the gravel and the bike's on top of me and he's on top of me and the bike. So lots of things happen in the midst of free-range kidsing. But having the freedom to stretch and grow and do something stupid and feel the consequences of that, that's how I grew up. That was where I matured. That's where I learned wisdom. Well, a little bit along the way. Some of it took longer than others. But that balance of free-range parenting, and yet it's intentional. They bring him with them, and yet Mary is not holding his hand the whole time on the way home. That's obvious because she loses him. Okay, maybe next trip she did, right? (laughs) Who knows? But they did not have one of those child leashes. You know what I'm talking about? Where you put it around your wrist and it's got a stretchy cord thing, and and you put that around the kid's waist or their arm or their neck or something, and... And you won't lose them in a crowd. You won't lose them in the, in the clothes display at the mall, right? Mary didn't have one of those. 
Because as they're trekking back in this, what, what we'll call a caravan, because it's a, lo- it's a larger party of people traveling in the same direction, from Jerusalem, back down the road, down to Jericho, then probably up the Jordan Valley, up towards Galilee. And people in the same, from the same towns and villages would typically travel together. But at the same time, especially in dangerous parts of the trip, some of the men would be up front, Traveling together, talking about, you know, guy stuff. Like, did you see that Georgia game yesterday with Ohio State? Sorry about that, Brian Warren. What a finish. (laughs) Or there'd be some of the men in the back as well. They're talking about men's stuff. And, and then the, the women would be, talk, would be traveling and talking together. And, and some of the younger kids, well, the youngest kids are probably traveling with the moms, but the older kids, they're not traveling with the moms. Not if they can get away with it, right? They're poking each other and teasing and playing along the way and telling stories they shouldn't tell, except for Jesus. Well, he wasn't even there. But, so so it's, it's not surprising that it's not until evening time that they know that Jesus didn't make the bus. He's not with them. Because he would have been with others, maybe other acquaintances, friends, relatives, and so forth, as they're all traveling together. But one thing's for sure, a teenage boy shows up at dinner time. And at dinner time, he's not there. Now we should also understand, Jesus is 12 years old here. But twelve don't think of that as a 12-year-old today in our culture because we do baby youth. And we have taken this thing of the teen years and we've created something called adolescence that we've stretched out and we continue to remove responsibility and consequences for actions. We stretch it further and further. Maybe, maybe by 18 we'll hold them responsible and they'll be more on their own. Maybe by 22 when they finish school. Maybe by 20, who knows? And we continue stretching that out and hovering over them to protect them. But that's not what's going on here. I mean, by age 14, a young woman might be married, right? And so you know that you've got to take 12 here and at least think of it in your minds as more like the responsibility of a a 16-year-old, maybe even older than that in terms of our cultural experience today. So, so there they are. It's not surprising, but at dinner time, the end of the travel day, when families regather and they're going to bed down, Jesus isn't there. And they frantically search among the relatives, among the friends. He's not in the caravan. Can you imagine sleep that night? They don't race back through the dark. You don't do that. But can you imagine Mary trying to sleep that night? We lost the Son of God. I mean, everything you've done, every misstep you've made pales in comparison. We lost the Messiah, the only chance to save humanity, and we don't know where he is. Nobody's seen him. Okay, so they're, they're, the next morning they get up really early, you know it, and they make the, the day's travel now back to get back to, back to Jerusalem, and they're probably hustling. And uh, then another day, the third day as I take it, now it might be that they searched for three days in Jerusalem. I wouldn't bicker on that point. But maybe just the third day is the day searching around Jerusalem. They finally find him there in the temple. But they've been looking for him. They've been anxious now for three days or parts of three days. What does that remind you of? Yeah, there's, a, there's little hints here. There's going to be another time when... His followers are going to be looking for him for three days, and then they will find him. And then they will be so glad, so relieved. But I'm getting ahead of the story. So they find him there. And Mary's confrontation shows respect and also a willingness to listen. 
She, she, she confronts him, but she says, and it's a question. She asks the question. She doesn't tell him what he did. She doesn't accuse him of dishonoring your mother and father. You know what the law says. She doesn't come down on him like that. She asks the question. Well, that's probably wise since this is the Son of God. But she says, why? Why have you treated us so? Your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. She asks a question which gives her the opportunity to gain more information. Now, parents, don't you wish, no matter what it is that your kids are into, and they're into a lot, but don't you wish, no matter what they're into, don't you wish you had a little more information about whatever it is? Sure you do. Well, ask questions. Ask questions rather than assuming. Questions are, are, questions are, one author says questions are wonderfully subversive. When you make a statement, people, including your kids, they are well prepared and ready to put the walls up and simply reject your statement. Statements are much easier to deflect. We put the shields up and the statements can't get through. That's your truth, but that's not my truth. Well, what's your truth? Oh, that's a question. Ask questions, thought-provoking questions. This was how they taught. So, so in the temple there where they find Jesus, they're asking questions, and Jesus is giving answers, and he's asking questions, probably asking questions about the questions, if we know something from his later methods. And uh, that's how the learning is taking place. And that's what Mary does as well. Ask a question, first of all. Now you say, well, come on, we really can't learn a whole lot from how Mary and Jesus engage here because he's Jesus. My kid, not Jesus, right? You know that. You've, you figured that out by now, okay? But there's something about relationships that still is, is your maybe... Maybe kiddo's a little older and you know this for sure. Are they born again? Are they actually indwelled by the Spirit? Is that teenager that troubles you actually born again and filled by the Spirit of the living God? Just as Jesus was indwelled by the Spirit, had the Spirit of God upon him. Well, there's common ground here then. And there, there, that changes the expectations a little bit. Also for you teens, are you, it's one thing to be indwelled by the Spirit. It's another thing to be filled by the Spirit. You're wanting that respect of parents. You want to be trusted. You want to, you want to be treated a little bit more adultish. And I think earlier on that is better than later. And yet, there's a bit of earning in that. There's, are you indwelt by the Spirit or are you also filled by the Spirit? Are you yielded to the Spirit? Are you following the Spirit's leading and submitting to the Spirit, which will also then guide you in submitting to others? Okay. Another thing for parents. Mary asks the question, Mary can learn something from Jesus here, from his answer, and she will. And then Mary will treasure these things in her heart. There's that Mary phrase again. It comes up again here. Mary treasured his answer, the words that he had spoken. They didn't understand all of what he's saying. We don't know what he means by that. But we're going to think about that. We're going to dwell on that a bit. We're going to chew on that. Parents, you want to build up kids? When did you last boost your child with these words?
words. God showed me something through you today. Now, kids, that works the other way, too. You can do that. That's a winning card to play. Mom, Dad, God showed me something through you today. Man, they'll just, oh, and you'll, you'll get away with something, okay? <laughs> Parents, you'll get away with something in that. I mean, we, we all mess up, but when did you tell them? And, and, and that's part of parenting, isn't it? Don't you see a little bit of yourself in the rascals? Yeah, you do. Well, some of the stuff that, that, that makes you so mad is because it reminds you of you. I know some of the stuff my mom was most worried about was she, was she saw bits of my dad in me. She married the guy, so I'm not sure what about... Oh, but, but oftentimes, it's stuff that we see about ourselves and our kids, and it tells us something, not just about them, it tells us something about us. But it can be good stuff, too. And God will use them to speak to us out of the mouths of babes. You have ordained praise and sometimes correction. God taught me something through you. And again, going back to the other side, for the youth, if you have God's Spirit, what difference is it making? It ought to be making a difference. It ought to make this easier for parents. Your goal is not to make parenting as challenging as it can be, but to make it easier even though there will be tensions as you're growing, as you're developing as you're taking responsibility for your own life, as you should. Now, the center of the story. The center of the story, actually, even if you look at some nice parallel balances that occur in the beginning and at the end, you get to the center where they're all amazed at Jesus' understanding and his answers. That's going to be the case um, in his later ministry, isn't it? The crowds are going to be amazed at Jesus' understanding and the answers that he gives, the teaching that he gives, even the questions that he asks. And that amazed, those who are listening, the word is, they were displaced. That's a great thing to happen. They had a previous understanding. They had a previous outlook. They saw things this way, but then that point of view was displaced. It was moved a little bit, or maybe it was completely put out of place and a completely new way of looking at something was put in its place. When you read God's Word, when you hear from God in His Word, you ought to now and again have your understanding displaced. You ought to at times feel no longer comfortable where you are. You ought to feel displaced. You ought to feel pushed a little bit. That's what God's Word does to us. Ancient words ever true, changing me, changing you. It is not meant for us to be stagnant. We should be changed. They were displaced. This, for, this foreshadows Jesus' answer in 49. It's going to be another one of those amazing answers. What does he mean by that? That's going to take some, some uh, consideration. But Jesus is already teaching. He's already teaching. He's provoking fuller insight in them, part of that simply by asking questions. You know, something I learned year ago, years ago in teaching was don't tell what you can ask. We have a lot of information to give, and we can cover the material. These are the things you need to know. But it's far better to ask and to draw out and have a conversation because people really learn things in self-discovery. 
And so if you can ask the right questions that lead them into discovery, you will be helping themselves to learn. And don't your kids at whatever age, don't, aren't they more fascinated by something they think they learned for themselves? Chances are when any of us learn anything, we've been guided there a little bit by somebody else or by God's Spirit himself. We haven't simply learned it ourselves. But when we discover it, when the aha moments happen, that's the stuff that sticks. So if you can be a, a, a person that provokes that by, by asking instead of telling, don't tell what you can ask. Now, now, now there's some things you can't ask. It's not up for grabs. It's not an open-ended question. This is, a, this is a right and wrong. Math has a lot of, it's like this. But you get higher in math, and there's a lot of different ways to get to the answer. And how can you do that? I, I digress again. Jesus is already teaching, and in parenting we can, we can do that, using those sneaky questions, but youth also. On the other side of it, parents to youth, on the youth side, be willing to ask why, but don't use why as a weapon. Oftentimes we can use why as the avoidance of what we don't want to do. Be willing to ask why, be ready to ask why, but don't just endure until you can get your own way. What did we see in Jesus? He went with them down to Nazareth, and he was what? Submissive to them. And I don't think it was just Jesus sitting there saying, I can't wait till I'm 18. I remember when I was a kid. Kids had to eat everything on their plates. Well, Dad didn't have to. That rule didn't apply. But kids eat everything on your plates. I couldn't wait till I was. I would eat it. I was eating it on the outside, but I was leaving it on the inside. And I couldn't wait till I was an adult and I didn't have to eat everything on my plate either. You know what I normally do now? I eat everything on my plate. Yeah. But there's something about what is my attitude? I, I don't understand why. I'm willing to ask why. I'm willing to hear why, yet I'm willing to go along when I should go along even if I don't get it yet. Okay, the climactic statement in verse 49. We wanted to get here. The climatic, the story builds to the point that Mary reflects on. Mary reflects on it. We should reflect on it too. The goal of growth is to prepare you for God's mission. Did you not know that I must be about the things of my Father? That's what I've been growing up for. That's what I'll keep growing up for. So if you were looking for me, you would find me in the midst of the things of my Father. The things that show my Father's glory are those things in the temple, in his house, certainly. Where the teaching about my Father is occurring, probably in Solomon's portico, one of the other colonnaded areas there within the temple mount, but not within the proper temple itself, certainly. Jesus was not in the temple with the priest. Mary could not have gone in there to get him. So they're out somewhere in the broader courtyard, probably under the colonnaded porches or the colonnaded walkways where a lot of teaching occurs. Jesus would later teach there himself. And in the midst of that, in the midst of that questioning and asking, that he said, you'd, you'd find me here where the teaching about God is happening because I must be about the things of my Father. And that tells us something about growth. The goal of growth is not prosperity or popularity. It's not about safety. It's not about success. The goal of our growth is the prioritizing of God's mission for my life. 
Lord, what would you have me to do? And being ready to step into it. And being ready to take the next step in it. Because let's, let's face of it, you don't know what that is. And many of you, most of us in this room, have something about God's future purposes in his mission in our lives that we don't know about yet. How do I prepare for what God hasn't told me about yet? In fact, in my life so far, I've had three lives. Really, three, yeah. Three lives. I like to talk about it. And, and at first, I was in the Air Force for about nine years. I had a good career in the Air Force. I like the Air Force. The Air Force liked me. But God said, get out of there. I got something else for you to do. So then we went overseas to Africa. And I worked in a technical role in Africa, but in helping others to know how to do these things that needed to be done to send God's word to others. And then after, after 12 years with that mission, then it was time to come here. And in a very different role from what I was doing full-time there, pastoring here. And so those are different vocations, and each one of those required more school. So what school should you go to because of how is God going to use you in your life? I haven't got a clue. I can know certain things. I can give certain advice. We can talk about the next step from where you are now. I can't tell you what the future is going to be any more than I could have told myself what the future is going to be. But are you willing to take the next right step? Are you willing to take the next step as God is leading you in the present toward the next step in your future? That's what we're talking about here, that um, we are in training today for God's unknown next. You are increasing your spiritual capacity for any eventuality. You don't know what's coming, but it's coming. I don't know what it is that's coming, but I can tell you for sure it is coming. So we are growing. We are increasing our capacity for whatever eventuality the Lord does bring into our future. Now you think parents just don't get it. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever thought that? Let me look to some of the younger ones. Have you ever thought that? My parents just don't get it. Yeah, i got to watch my eyes. I can't say, yeah, yeah, I see that. And, you know, when you're sitting right next to your parents, this is not going to go well. But yes, yes, there are, there are often occasions where they don't really get it. Mary didn't get it, and that's no fault of Mary's here. That's the interesting thing about this passage. Mary's not put at fault. Jesus isn't put at fault. That's not the point of the passage at all. But in the midst of those tensions, we can see how they're resolved. There's a question to ask. There's an answer to to be given that Mary doesn't fully get it. And yet, Jesus' response is golden. His response is still, he was submissive to them. And if Jesus could submit to his parents, he's the son of God, they're working real hard to try to figure this out. If Jesus could submit to his parents, then what should you do? Normally, and we are not in an ideal world, we are broken people in a broken world, and yet normally your parents, and parents will mess this up, we get selfish and self-centered, and we get our own blind spots, and yet your parents normally are the ones who are most in this world looking out for your good to the capacity they have to understand it. And some of you have had parents that were not spiritually aware really at all. And so there's areas that they didn't have the capacity to be helpful. And God has provided for you that within a broader church family. And yet, parents have your best at heart, typically. You can, typically, you should be able, I'll say it that way, you should be able to trust yourself to them. 
And when that's not true, you have others that God would provide that you can trust yourself to for guidance, for counsel, for your own growth. Let's, let's make some conclusions before time gets away from us. We are growing. One of the takeaways from the story, we are growing for the purpose of being more about the things of our Father. Not about, there's all kinds of other goals, and a lot of times you're talking about goals in, 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 in life for your kids, and we're working at, okay, you're going to finish high school, and you've got to do these extracurriculars so you can build your college resume so you can get into a good school. Hopefully you get some, college, some scholarships because we don't have the money to pay for all this. But you're going to then, you're going to go to college, you're going to get a degree so you can get a good job, and so you can do this. And all those may be fine, but all those may not at all be what, for those various steps may not be what you should do. And those all aim toward a particular model of success in this culture. But what matters far more is knowing and following your Lord. Are you growing in knowing and following your Lord? And that starts little, and that continues as we get older. And we may not any longer get bigger, hopefully, but we'll still grow older. And as we are growing, are we continuing in knowing and following our Lord? In the midst of whatever else that looks like and making your way and making a positive contribution in the midst of this society that we do live in and are a part of. But how do I follow the Lord here? How do I know him here? That's an important part of our growth. Our growing for the purpose. We must be about the things of our Father. We've got to take that away. That's the climactic point of the story. We must be about the things of our Father. Don't let the other things of life and development and goals and ambitions get in the way of I must be about the things of my Father. Okay, number two. Both parents and youth in the story are growing and knowing and following, and they do that by helping others to know and follow Jesus. There's that tagline for our church again. That Mary and, Je- Mary and Joseph apparently are stretched in their understanding of what God is doing by, by Jesus, even when he's 12. And, and Jesus is, even though he's 12, he's helping others to know. And Mary and Joseph certainly have been agents in the growth and development of Jesus. They are giving themselves for him, and he will give himself for us. But we grow in knowing and following Jesus ourselves as we are helping others to know and follow Jesus. How this year... It's New Year's Day. It's January 1st. This is the time we're thinking about things. How this year will you specifically take a next step to know and follow your Lord? What will you do this year? What will you begin? What will you be a part of? What will you devote yourself to? What will you give yourself for? Where will you yield and submit that you will also be knowing and following the Lord and helping others to know and follow him? Now's the time for a word from our sponsors at BP Academy. Classes are starting next Sunday. You're worried about, well, how will I get my books? You'll get your books if, if your class has books. You'll get those first day, first day of class. If, if there's a reading to be done beforehand, if you sign up in advance, if you register online, or you can use those communication cards and say, I want to be in this class. Tell me more about it. We'll get that information to you. The classes start next week. A wonderful lineup. There is a class on introduction or principles of marriage and family. 
There's a class called Think Biblically. There's a class of, of, of practical apologetics, that answers for the questions that are out there today that you're going to get asked and you can be prepared to answer. There's a, a biblical study in 1 Corinthians. There's a, there's a range of classes. There's a, another offering of our foundations of faith, basic elements of theology. What do we know about God and, and his salvation? So these are opportunities for you to grow and deepen in your faith and your practice and how you serve people around you. Jump in. We'll be starting some new discipleship groups. If you've, if you've wanted to be part of a discipleship group or would like, you know, I'd like to know more about leading a disciple, others through that journey. I, I've done that. It was so fruitful. I'd like to take somebody else through those steps as well. There's opportunity to do that. Communication card. I'd like to be part of a small group where I could be growing with others. Use the communication card. There's opportunities. There are going to be some new groups starting. There's room in some of our groups. We would love to help you get connected. You can be, you can take that next step in knowing and following Jesus with others, even as you're helping them to walk with him and know him. How this year will you grow in knowing and following? Now, any next step that we take is going to be based on, a next step in growth is going to be based on a foundational step in life. And that's what the table is about. So as I invite those who are serving to come forward, as I invite um, those on the worship team to come back up and, and they're going to be leading us in another song, I want, to, I want to point us toward this table. Because this table relates really to this question of taking a next step in spiritual growth. Because I want to take a next step. I want to stretch. And yet, somewhere in the back of my mind, the enemy will bring up my guilt. He will say, you're not really worthy of that. Don't you remember? This is how you are. This is what you've done. Or maybe it's what you do. You don't qualify. When we come to this table, where this cup of the new covenant of the forgiveness of our sin. And we remember in that new covenant, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, because the enemy will tell us, well, you don't have the ability to do that. You want to take a next step and stretch and growth, and yet you don't have the ability to do that. Who do you think you are? It's not about me. It's greater is he who is in me. That God has put his spirit within those who believe in Jesus. That I can walk in his ways. I can walk in his will. I can stretch and take a next step because it's not all up to me. It is God working in me, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So this table is, not, is a table we, we remember. The Lord is our salvation. But it's also the table that we remember is that he has given us his life to live and to grow in. So if you are a believer in Jesus, if that's your testimony, that he gave his life in order to give you eternal life with him and the Father forever, that you are fully forgiven in Jesus our Savior, then join us in this table.